0: Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series provides full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners keeping you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. Today's talk is by Colleen Vargas. She is an urban ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service who focuses on recognizing and maximizing the role of nature in the pursuit of sustainability. This podcast features her talk on cognitive surpluses and citizen foresters, the urban forest map. It was originally presented at the ISA International Conference in Parramatta, Australia in July 2011.
1: So first of all, thank you all for being here, and thank you, Melinda, for the introduction. I hate those bios, but um, they're necessary. So I'm taking a chance here today, and I'm trying to show a product live, which is not a question of shakiness of the product, but rather the combination of a website that's working with a somewhat shaky wireless system connected to a PowerPoint projector. Um, I'm gonna do the best I can. I'll have a fallback presentation if necessary, but I think it's kind of fun to see something that's actually uh, live when you can actually see it on the screen. So let me talk first about the background of the project that I'm gonna present today. It's the San Francisco urban forest map, and I've been told that I have to stand sort of over here so that I'm in the spotlight. Um, My colleague, Amber Beag, who couldn't be with me today because she has a two-year-old baby and a 15-hour flight from San Francisco and a two-year-old were not something that she was willing to tackle. But a couple of years ago, working in Los Angeles for a tree nonprofit group, uh, Planting Trees on the Streets of LA, she had this idea that it's really a shame that we don't have a way of communicating the work that we've done, sort of not just in real time, with the people that we're doing the work for. And so she had the idea of, taking, uh, of making use of the internet with urban forestry in a new way. And so the idea here is a wiki style website that engages the public and also provides a forum for official information. So our goal here, the overarching goal, we had four, four problems, if you will, that we were trying to solve. First is the problem of of communicating among official entities with responsibility for trees. So in San Francisco, this is a little bit of a strange case in all kinds of ways, but particularly as far as trees go, there are at least a dozen agencies that have jurisdiction over trees in this city that's only about 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers. Uh, Everybody from the federal government who owns land at the Presidio, which is a gigantic, essentially eucalyptus forest in northwestern San Francisco, to the obvious players, like the Bureau of Urban Forestry, they manage all the street trees in San Francisco. Um, just for short, we call them Buff. Um, and I'll probably talk about Buff many times in the next hour, so that's why I'm giving you the heads up. Their uh, colleagues at our local tree advocacy group is Friends of the Urban Forest, or FUF. <laughs> FUF plants most of the trees along the streets, manages them for the first few years, and then turns over their responsibility for them to Buff. The Department of Parks and Recreation plants all the par- uh, plants and cares for the trees in parks. There's a, the Public Housing Authority has some responsibility for trees. And none of these people have any way to communicate with each other. So let me just show you a little, one little corner here in San Francisco. This is Buena Vista Park near our most famous intersection of Haight and Ashbury. And, If you look at this little corner right here, just right along here, so this is Buena Vista Park, and then there's a perimeter sidewalk like most parks have. The trees inside of Buena Vista Park are managed by the Parks and Recreation. The trees on the other side of that perimeter sidewalk are planted along the street, so those are managed by Buff. The trees along this part in front of the houses are managed by Fuff in their early days, turned over to Buff in their later days. The trees in the backyard, of course, belong to the people who own the property there. And so none of these people have any way to communicate with each other. So let's just say, for instance, Buff discovers a rampant pest problem within their trees. They don't really have any way of sharing that knowledge with the people who manage the trees that are really only 50 feet away. So how could we create a platform to share that information? So that was one problem. Another problem is the problem of uh, the theme of today, static versus dynamic. it's unusual for a city to even be able to afford to conduct a tree inventory. In San Francisco, we probably have about a million trees altogether. There's no way we could ever find the money to inventory all of them. Even if we did, we could do it once, we'd have a snapshot in time. And we don't have a way to keep that information up. So I have the official Buff inventory, and it includes a lot, a lot of trees that were planted 10, 12 years ago, and the inventory shows them as having a diameter of 3 inches. So we know that that's actually how big of trees we usually plant in San Francisco, therefore, we know that in the last 10 or 12 years, nobody has ever updated the entry for that particular tree. So is there a way we can have a more dynamic experience for the people who are managing the trees? Can we involve the public to help us do the things that we can't really afford to do um, on our own? The third goal of our project was to engage a new community, and this is sort of what Paul was talking about there's already this dedicated group of people who are master gardeners and who put the time and energy into volunteering and collecting the hours and and sit at a table at the state fair and tell you people how to take care of their plants. That's a wonderful resource. There's a group of people who are willing to get up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning and dig holes in the ground and plant trees in exchange for coffee and a muffin. I am not one of those people. In fact, very few of us well, maybe not very few of us, but very few of the 7 billion people in the world belong to that category too. So is there a way that we can engage a much broader audience who feel some connection with the nature around them or who just like trees but don't want to make a commitment on the level of several hours at a time or who don't want to get dirty or who don't want to get up early in the morning who just who, who want to participate in a different way? So that was our goal. Those were the, the challenges that we were trying to meet in the design of this project. So what we have here is, as I said, a wiki-style project. So that means that anybody, your grandma, your toddler, your kindergartner with iPad, can create an account, log in, and add and enter information onto the map. So I'll talk about some of the security things that might come up into your mind when you start to think about the worries that would go along with that, and some of the ways that we've tackled it, and some of the ideas that we have for the future. Um, Another important technological point is that this is an open source project. And what that means is that um, all of the software code in the background is freely available to everyone. At the end, I'll show you the the place where you can get that. It was developed with public money, uh, a proposition, a bond fund in California. So as a general philosophy, we like the idea of open source projects, but I think it's particularly important when you're using public money that you um, aren't creating something proprietary that people have to pay for. That does not mean that you can take the software code, download it and flip a little switch and have a project for your own city. Um, I can talk at the end about some of the things that would be involved in making that possible. But it does mean that the, the vast majority of the background work is finished for you. So let's get started. So this is a little tricky. I have to use that. I can't use this, I have to use that. So. Bear with me a little bit if I struggle. That might be easier, really with that. but then I'm I'm backwards. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, and also, my wireless connection, as I said, is a little on the pokey side. So if this gets to be too tiresome, we'll just switch to the PowerPoint presentation. But so there's San Francisco. Um, One thing that I I mentioned in passing the Department of Parks and Recreation and the fourth objective of the project is to fill in the gaps where there is no official information. So we had that buff inventory, which we know is not up to date, but there's also the fact that the Department of Parks and Recreation doesn't have an inventory at all. So this is Golden Gate Park. This is our, you know, our big main city park. Um, It has a few small green dots where people, the public have added trees, but there's probably 250,000 trees in there and nobody has any idea where they are. And same thing up here, this is the Presidio, this is federal land, no inventory. That is an enormous, enormous stand of eucalyptus and Monterey pine and Monterey cypress. No one has a clue what's up there either. So um, how can we help to fill in those gaps? All right, so I'm gonna give you the the tour here. So some of the things that you can do, you can't quite see that, is uh, search for species. So we can say, show me all, I'm gonna say, show me all the red maples in San Francisco. So here's one of the security um, measures for managing the data right off the top of the bat. I knew that a huge problem was gonna be that people wouldn't be able to spell. They wouldn't even be able to spell red maple. So you don't ever get the chance to make up your own spelling. You type in a few letters and any tree, whether it's the scientific name, the common name or the cultivar, it's gonna give you all the things that include the letters R-E-D. Same thing when you add a tree, you're limited to the things that I let you enter. Um, all right, so I'm going to say there is not an other. Now, when you go to, I'll show you when you go to add a tree, you can actually just leave it blank. Um, oh, and this reminds me of one other aspect. Uh, the the now famed Buff inventory um, included, eight, included about 80,000 trees. And they told me that it was pristine. And they were very uncomfortable sharing it because they knew that my you know, the general public, when they got involved in this project, were going to make a big mess of this beautiful, pristine database that they had. And the first thing that I did was say, tell me how many unique species are on this list of 80,000 trees, and I got back 831, which is wholly and completely impossible. So when I was finished cleaning up their spelling mistakes, I had about 130 left. So <laughs> I don't, don't tell me about pristine databases. All right, so here I'm going to say, show me all the trees, all the red maples in San Francisco. Whoops. And they show up as uh, highlighted dots. And there are 291. And then on the left are the environmental benefits that those red maple trees are providing. So we show you the, uh, the CO2 that's being absorbed annually by those trees, the amount of stormwater that's being captured, the uh, energy that's being conserved, and then the air pollutants that are being um, filtered out of the air. And we assign a dollar value to those. And that data comes from the, what was called the Center for Urban Forest Research. Um, my former employer and the developers of one of the iTree suite of products, the iTree streets data. So that's what we're using to get our numbers there. So we can also search by neighborhood. So I'll say my neighborhood. Show me all of the red maples in Bernal Heights. And it swirls around again. And now we have 31, and we've summed up the benefits for those trees as well. So what I want to do now is show you, we're going to scoot over a little bit. Oh, the wireless is working pretty well. (laughs) Come on, pumpkin. You can do it. There we go. So forgive me, too, if there are a little bit of quirkiness in here. We're in the midst of a big round of upgrades and um, so not everything is quite sorted out, but I still think it's more fun to show you the, the real thing or maybe not. Um, you're out of luck. <laughs> so let me, so that's a good question. Uh, we, we, our funding was to develop a pilot project and um, we chose San Francisco for a couple of reasons. One, because we're from San Francisco. Um, because it's also, a, a, I think, a particularly, it's, it's a city of people who pride themselves on their greenness, whether it's true or not. And it's also a city of people who pride themselves on their tech abilities. So we, didn't wanna, we wanted to make sure that we were working with a group of people that was going to be able to to engage the project, and I think that we have. But it was really important to us to build something that was flexible enough that it could be easily expanded. So it's possible that we'll expand this particular project to the larger San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but I'll also show you at the end that we're building a new map for Sacramento, for the larger Sacramento, California region. And I'll also show you the project in Philadelphia where they've got a several county project going on that they um, are, are developing too. So I've zoomed in to the trees in front of my this is so see all these trees sitting on top of this piece of property that's my house and I whenever I do a demonstration I add the trees in front of my house so that I can go and delete them so I know where they were so I can click on any tree and I get a little pop-up window that gives me some brief information about it and then I can save you all details and what you end up here is what we call the trees Facebook page um, where you can upload pictures and you can find out a lot of information about it. It's one of the things that we're working on that doesn't work quite as well as it should right now are these common attributes with the idea sort of of, um, if you're familiar with the kind of little icons that you get when you're looking at a hotel um, review. So we're trying to focus on whether the, so one of the glitches that we're fixing right now is that these little common attribute things don't work, but there's one for flowering, there's one for trees that are native to California, one that are trees that are edible, trees that have fall color, and my American elm, which is none of those things, is actually showing all the little attributes, but um, that in the next couple weeks will be uh, something that we will have fixed. So down here we have all of the ecosystem services that that tree is providing. Here is a picture of that tree and that's my dog. Here's the tree on the map and here is the street, Google Street View, so you can actually spin it around. And there's the elm tree, same same elm as this guy right here. Uh, Let's see what else is on this page. So our funding came from the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, more commonly known as Cal Fire now, and they are willing to fund some inventory projects for cities in California and they have very strict requirements before they will fund them. We would like to see this tool used as um, a possible method for engaging the public in certain kinds of inventories. Probably not in a city the size of San Francisco, but I'll talk a little bit more about that. But maybe in smaller communities. Could, Could a few dedicated volunteers manage to inventory all the trees in a smaller community so we've included all the information that CAL FIRE requires, like how big is the plot that the tree sits in, um, what kind of a plot is it, is it a median strip, is it a tree pit in the sidewalk, is it a planter, is it all of those kinds of things. Uh, is there any damage to the sidewalk, and are there any power lines overhead, and all those things are specific to California um, and could be adapted, you know, those, you could change those things to, to suit any different community. Uh, down here we have some information about the tree status. So, We can add alerts and actions, and I'll show you those on the next screen in just a second. just wanted to uh, go over the final things on this page. So again, is it flowering? Is it edible? Where is it native to? And then one of the most exciting things I think about this project that I did not expect in the beginning, I had no idea that this was what was going to happen, is we've really enabled smaller projects to exist. Um, The three that I'm showing here, is it a landmark tree, is it a fruit gleaning project tree, and is it a carbon fund tree? The city of San Francisco has two new programs. One is they set a a little tariff on any travel that city workers do for their jobs, and that money goes to fund local carbon projects. And one of the possible projects that can be undertaken is planting trees. And so probably not very many trees are going to get planted as a part of this project. And the Department of the Environment, who's in charge of overseeing it, came and said, hey, we, we need an infrastructure to manage these trees. We need to know where they are. We need somebody to help us keep track of how they're growing. We want people to be able to follow them over time and see that they're actually storing carbon. Um, Can you tell me? Can you help me build an infrastructure? You know about databases and you know about maps. Help me make one. I said, Well, why should you make one? Why don't we just add the little fields that are necessary for your project to the Urban Forest Map, and you can just use that. You won't have to reinvent the wheel. It'll cost a very small amount of time and money um, for us to make those adjustments. And same with the fruit cleaning project. In that case, there's a group who wants to, we have a lot of backyard fruit trees in San Francisco, and um, rarely can you use as much fruit as is on your tree, just falls on the ground and rots or rats come and eat it. So they wanted to organize a project in which you have a fruit tree, you sign up and you say, send a volunteer to come pick the fruit off of my tree, and then they donate it to a shelter or to a food bank. Again, probably not gonna be a giant project that, they're going to need to manage 50 or 100,000 trees. Um, so, we're going to enable the infrastructure here for them to manage the project from within the urban forest map. And I hadn't, just hadn't occurred to me that there were these sort of small projects out there who, who need some kind of database in the background to, to enable their work and that we could make that happen. So, I, that's really been one of the most exciting parts to me. Okay, so let's go and edit some information about this tree. And I meant to log in before we got started and I forgot. So I'm gonna say, let me edit this tree and it's gonna ask me for my username and password, which I have, during the process of beta testing, made about 15 different accounts. And the only one that I can remember is the one named after my dog. She does a lot of work on this map. Uh, no. All right, so I've logged in, and now I have my edit tree screen. So now I can change any information that I want. So I'm just going to change this American, oh, come on, internet, don't stress out. This American elm, come on, to a different kind of elm and hopefully remember. So again, I just type in ULM. I could type in ELM. I could do anything. And I'm going to say it's a Siberian elm for now and say safe. there it comes up as a Siberian Elm. Now one of the biggest things, another thing that I didn't realize when we got started on this that should have been immediately obvious that came to me about halfway through was this is going to be the biggest stumbling block for people. They're going to want to participate but they're not going to have the faintest idea how to identify a tree and so either they're going to go crazy and add something that's totally wrong or they're just going to be disheartened from the beginning and not want to play anymore. So. We did a little bit of rearrangement of the funding, and we're able to develop very quickly, and this is sort of quick and dirty actually, and we have a a new grant to expand it to the rest of California and um, make it into a better internet format. But we built this little tree key, it's got the 50 most common species in San Francisco, um, and it lets you do the sort of things that tree keys let you do. You know, does it have leaves? Does it have needles? Does it have palm fronds? You just pick one and you keep moving. And um, we tried to use language that was easy for people to understand, and we tried to identify the things that, you know, sometimes you can't. You can't get away with skipping over the simple versus compound. So how could we explain it in a way that was easy to understand, and how could we help people to recognize one from the other? Um, There are a lot of tree keys out there in the world, of course, in book form. There are a few on the internet, but none of them, first of all, none really do a very good job with urban species. And in California, a guide to the western trees, like a Peterson's Guide to the Western Trees of the United States, will not get you anywhere on the streets, because we just don't have any of those trees on our streets. We have mostly trees of Australia on our streets. So anyway, I don't want to belabor this too much. Um, and where you do see tree keys on the internet, they tend to be very much like the book. It's almost like someone took the pages out of the book, scanned them in, and then just, you work through them in a very linear way. So we tried on the cheap here to capture some of the flexibility of the internet. And we're gonna really try to do some exciting things with this upcoming grant that we have to expand this. But one of the simple things that I think is helpful up here is we have what's called the breadcrumb trail, so that you can see where you've made the different choices. And it, it's a way for you to go back to the, if you get to the end and you didn't find the tree that you thought that you should have, um, it's a way to help you go back to the place where you were the least, least clear. So I'm pretty excited about what we're gonna have ahead for that. So that is a tree key. Um, it, I'm not sure that what we're gonna be able to do with the, that, that tree key is open source, and I'll talk a little bit more about some improvements that have been made to what is, exists in the code for now. Um, I'm afraid that the one we're about to build might not be able to be, because it's gonna be connected to a a database of trees that's at the Cal Poly Technical University, and that's just gonna be a big, but we we haven't figured that out yet, but that, that is a good question. Okay, so then I can also edit the trunk diameter. And so this is another thing, this actually didn't realize until a week before our public launch would be a crisis. Who in the general public can measure the diameter of a tree? No one. So I thought, oh my, God, how, how could I not have thought of that? Everyone said, oh, let them do the math. No, they can't do the math. So we uh, quickly put together a way that you can actually measure the circumference and then we do the math in the background so that you don't have to worry about that. Same thing with the trunk. If your tree has more than one trunk, we do the math of squaring the various trunks, adding them together and taking the square root. And I say, who can measure the diameter, but who can actually also measure the circumference? So we made a little video which I won't take the time to show you because we, maybe I'll show it to you at the end. But it's also a resource that's available to you if you should have any sort of a need like this. It's on the resources page of the urban forest map. Um, and it was done by a certified arborist who also has a very great screen personality and who's working on setting up a business, making pruning videos in San Francisco. So she does a great job of running through all the many possible complications. What if it has more than one trunk? What if it has a big bump? What if it's covered in ivy? Um, very thorough and really and very fun too. So I will just leave that. And when you change the diameter and you change the species, the environmental benefits adjust themselves. So those are based on a species in the diameter and so um, those are dynamic as well. So I mentioned down here, I mentioned earlier about this actions and alerts thing and I don't know if I'm going to be able to, this is going to be a little tricky. So we, knew, we, met with, we spent a few months meeting with a bunch of different stakeholders and people who would be interested in a project like this. And um, one thing that we heard over and over again was that groups would be interested in being able to sort of manage the people who were involved, their set of volunteers, for example. Do they have tree stewards? And if the tree stewards have been assigned a particular tree, um, can they use this the urban forest map to keep track of whether people have done the tasks that were assigned to them? So we set up these actions so that if you're the tree steward of my American elm um, and your job is to water it once a week, not that you need to water that gigantic elm tree, but um, if it was a little baby elm tree, you can come here and you can tell us every week that you've watered it. Do we know that you watered it? No, but um, this is a way for us to to sort of manage all of that. Same thing with the alerts. So one other thing that we heard often was Um, that groups would like to be able to say, show me all the red maple, well, show me all the trees in the Bernal Heights neighborhood where somebody has said um, that the stakes and ties should be removed. I work for Fuff and I'm going to go out there and cut off, you know, and be sure that I I take care of those trees that need taken care of that have been forgotten somehow. So that is one of the things that, that general users can do. This is a point of contention. I won't gloss over that. Um, I've heard many people say they worry about the liability issues involved in this. What if somebody comes and says this tree needs pruning and it doesn't get pruned and then it falls, a branch falls on someone's car or whatever. Will the city be liable? Um, That's sort of an ongoing dialogue that we're having. One possibility that we're discussing is that once you've clicked submit uh, a warning pops up that says, this is not a way to report a problem. If you think that this is a serious problem, please just call the number that's assigned for people to make those, to, to report such things. Um, of course, that list could be edited as desired so that you can't actually report that the tree need, you know, and you can't actually report anything that's particularly dangerous, but that is something that to keep in mind. You could show them on the map, yeah. So those are, those are the different search options that would be available to you. And I didn't show those. And let's see if I can get up here to show that. So we're working on cleaning these up, too. I've add, um, for the next phase, we have a whole bunch of um, different search options that will be available to you but you can search by the diameter, of the planting date, the last time someone's made an addition. Ooh, there's an interesting little quirk that just happened. You can show me all the trees that have been updated since 3,910. Um, so that, that's a, that list is gonna be more and more expanded and it would include things like show me all the trees that have this particular problem. So finally on this guy is the add a tree page and here, this is um, something that's also in the works of being revised, trying to make this easier, um, trying to make it easy to add many trees at a time. Yeah, or, well one thing we, we, we did this and I'll just show you how this works. So I'm just gonna say I'll add another tree on top of my house. It zooms right into the address that I gave it. I can click on that tree and put it on top of the house so that I remember to delete it. I can say that is uh, Magnolia this time, of that kind, and I say add this tree. So what we heard, (laughs) hmm, this is what you get for using Internet Explorer, which is the only thing that was on this computer. Come on. All right, I'm just gonna skip over that for now. Um, One thing that we heard from people was that you add the tree, and then you, it goes to its Facebook page, and you can fill in the rest of the information there. And people said, hey, wait a minute. Chances are, a lot of the time, if I'm adding all the trees on a block, many of them will have the same characteristics. A lot of them will be the same species and the same size. Make it really easy for us. So we've revamped that whole process. You add a tree. You add all the information for a tree, and at the bottom it says, do you want to add another tree with the same information? Do you want to add a tree with new information? Or do you just want to get, call it quits for today? So that's a new feature that we have coming up. So that's pretty much the things that I wanted to talk about as far as the existing project and I haven't actually talked about cognitive surplus which was the title of this talk and so a lot of the concern that we've heard of course has been, hey wait a minute, can people really do this? What kind of data are we going to get from the general public? These are just people out there on the street. How are we going to keep track of what they're doing? How are we going to know how good it is? So first I wanted to show a couple of projects that are out there in the world where people have done something similar. This is the Great Backyard Bird Count of North America. It's run by Cornell, my alma mater, and the Audubon Society. And we have um, some Canadian partners, they have some Canadian partners too. For more than a decade, they've been sending people out there on a particular weekend uh, I think the next, it's always in February. There it is. Um, and you just pick a spot and you, and as much time as you want, you just write down the birds that you see and then you fill in the form online and they're all tallied. Last total, they have about 92,000 participants. Last year alone, 60,000 people participated and they've counted more than 11 million birds. Is every one of those 400,000 data points accurate? Of course not. But what they're getting is this brilliant view across the entire continent of migration patterns and how migration patterns are changing. And there's a point where you have enough data that the actual perfection of an individual piece is not as important as what you're seeing over the larger whole. So our goal is to have enough participation that we have a level of accuracy that is acceptable to us. Now, how will we know when that happens? Well, right now, one of the projects that we have going on is a research project. So we've got three, we've actually got four categories. One is 150 volunteers that I sent out into the streets of San Francisco and said measure these trees. And they came back and they put those dots on a special map. The second group is people who are participating in the map, unaware that they are one of the study groups. And so at the end of the next couple of months, I'll pull that data down um, and put it in group two. Group three is a set of 20 expert certified arborists that I sent out last month to collect data on those same trees as the first two groups. And we'll use that to compare against them. And then the fourth group actually, we're gonna collect data on the same trees from aerial imagery so that we're trying to see, that's sort of a separate project, but all pulled in together. So how do those groups compare with each other? And um, we hope to have the results of that study published next year have actually just been accepted as a speaker at the Partners in Community Forestry Conference next Nove- this November in Orlando, so that at least the raw data analysis will have to be done by then. Uh, this, the first group are the people who are knowingly participating as, as amateurs. The second group are unknowingly participating. Okay, so that's one project. Here's another one. There's the great backyard bird count. Um, The Galaxy Zoo, they have 150,000 participants. They take images from the Hubble telescope. You look at them, if you know something about astronomy, and help to classify galaxies. So they've got 50 million observations so far. Again, are they all exactly correct? Of course not, but um, how good is good enough? And I'll come back to my original point about that buff inventory. It's out of date. It had 830 unique species on it. The thing we should measure ourselves against when we talk about public participation is not some idea of perfection, but rather what we actually have, what we can afford and what we're working with now. Can we do better than that while we're engaging people to participate with us? And of course, the granddaddy of them all, Wikipedia, an estimated hundred million hours of human labor have gone into that. Um, There's actually some question in this world of cognitive surplus which is just general people using their knowledge and the things that they're interested in and giving it out to the community. Some people say, hey, wait a minute, we're we're manipulating these people. We're using them in an unfair way. And I would point out that this 100 million hours that have gone into Wikipedia pales in comparison to the 200 billion hours a year that Americans alone watch of television we probably could all watch a little bit less TV and spend some time doing cool things with the the knowledge that we have. So what lies ahead for our project? Uh, We're working on a whole bunch of advanced new features with this new round. Um, As I mentioned, we're improving the way you can add trees to the map, making it easier. We've added a whole bunch of advanced search options so that you can pretty much search for absolutely anything you want. Um, We've simplified and expanded the administrative system in the background, so now, Instead of having to work with the complicated, the the software that's running in the background, I as the administrator can go in and say, show me all the pictures that have been uploaded recently. And in one quick glance, I can make sure that no bad things have happened. Um, We also are gonna enable a comment system and the same thing there, I can say, uh, show me all the comments that have been added and I can make sure that we haven't been spammed or porned or whatever. the comments one there, so there's a couple more ways in which we're talking about managing the security and the quality of the data too and so that with the comments for example there's a little flag option there and so if you are flipping through the site and find a comment that's inappropriate you can flag it and I get an email right away that says go and check and make sure that this is okay and I can hide it very simply and then there's a reputation point system so that as a user every time you add a tree or make an edit to a tree you get a certain number of points I as an administrator give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down, once you've added a certain number of points and gotten a certain number of thumbs ups and thumbs down, you become a super user and uh, your trees are automatically approved. So I'm going to talk about a couple of other projects and I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Casey Combs is in the audience with us and if you were there this morning you heard his name mentioned in the awards. video and also in recognition in association with the Philly tree map. So in a sort of strange twist of fate, uh, the week after we had our public launch of the urban forest map, I got a call from a software firm in Philadelphia called Azavia, and they said, "Um, we're kind of crushed. We just got a grant to develop a project just like yours. We did not know you were out there. And um, what should we do about it? And I said, I'm kind of crushed. I thought we were the only ones with this great idea. But in the end we've had a very, very successful collaboration and I think it's really worked exactly as one would hope an open source project would work. So we shared our, open, our original code with them and many of these features that I mentioned before, uh, like the reputation points, the comment system, and the uh, this super administration system were developed by them with their piece of the grant Um, are all active on the existing Philly tree map site and are now being fed back to San Francisco. So go and explore theirs too. They've got some some really great things going on there. And the newest participant in the project is the Sacramento Greenprint region. So this is Sacramento, the capital of California. Um, They have this big six-county region where they're trying to plant five million trees in the next 20 years and trying to really It's almost more of a philosophical point, trying to emphasize that the green infrastructure of the region is just as important as the gray infrastructure and trying to celebrate that. So we've taken the source code from the San Francisco and the Philadelphia projects, put it together, and then added a layer of features that Sacramento was interested in, um, which would then be available for both Philly and San Francisco to to, to take back as well. Um, This one is in its sort of very, very early Testing phase, and I would have shown it to you except I crashed it yesterday. So, and it's of course still Sunday in California, so nobody was there to, to bring it back to life. I was kind of heartbroken, um, but I found something wrong, so now we can fix it and it won't happen to some unsuspecting person. The one exciting thing about this is uh, that I wanted to that I managed to capture a screen capture of before I brought the whole thing down was this pending system. So here's another way of tackling this data quality problem. They were, in Sacramento, particularly skeptical about this idea. So I said, let's come up with a way, I think this will be very valuable to any future participants, to allow administrative oversight of all the changes or the things that seem particularly important. So we identified which of these, which of the fields we thought we really wanted to keep an eye on. And when a non-administrative user like Willis, there she is again, um, comes and makes an edit. Instead of it swapping out for the existing data, it's held as pending until an administrator comes along, gives it the thumbs up, and then it, then it takes over the spot of honor. So that is the big, that's the big exciting thing that's coming from. Anybody can go in and change anything, anytime. Um, I'm actually the only one for San Francisco, but that's partly because we have made the decision to um, sort of take all comers. I th- once you have a pending system in place, you would probably need to give it more attention, but I really only give the San Francisco site maybe a half hour's attention a week, just to make sure that no, there's been no chaos, right? And so we'll probably come back to that in a year and see what what has happened with the data. I mean, I'm keeping an eye on it all the time, but you know, we want to get enough of a, a data set that I can see what kind of changes are being made. Um, but as a, as a piece of software, it, it, it's very robust. So we haven't had any crashes. We haven't had any of that. None of that kind of administrative oversight has really been necessary. So mostly I just look at the little pictures and make sure that they're all okay. <laughs> so in the future, as I mentioned before, is our research project. Hopefully by the end of next year, you should be able to read about that. Um, This is sort of funny. When we started this project, we wrote this grant in 2007. There were no smartphones, there was no iPhone, there was no Android. And looking back, I actually don't know why we ever thought this was a good idea. Because we built this website for people to participate, but how are you supposed to, you still have to go out in the field with a clipboard, write down the information and come back and enter it in your laptop or your desktop. Why would, that doesn't seem like a very good idea anymore. So it's obvious now, a few years later, that what we absolutely have to have to really get people to participate is um, a way for you to do it on your phone. So we applied for and received a grant to do that. And that will be, I think somebody mentioned parks. I think that will be a, a really critical aspect for the parks is that now you can say, hey phone, show me where I am. So you're not trying to figure out one of 20,000 trees in the middle of a park. How do I identify it in an aerial image? You can actually stand next to it and say, this is a tree that I want and get much, much closer. Of course, you can stand there, you can take a picture of it and upload that picture right there and um, add all of the information. And I think that will be a huge step forward for us in, in increasing participation and um, the expanded tree key. So we will take that 50 trees we did for San Francisco, expand it to 200 for the state of California. Um, and I think, I'll be interested to see, at least for the rest of the, well maybe even for for Australia and the rest of the United States, how, how many, with those 200 trees will we actually have captured enough that people in other parts of the country and other parts of the world will find it useful. Um, that'll be something for us to keep in mind. So finally, this is the uh, site, GitHub, where most open source code is lodged and if you just search for OpenTreeMap that's what we're giving the overarching project and includes all the code for San Francisco, for Philadelphia and in the very near future for Sacramento as well. Um, Again, it's not a turnkey project, it is not a project for internet or for software development amateurs but it was a half million dollar grant when we started and I would say that future cities could budget something on the order, certainly a whole order of magnitude less than that um, so, what you have is, is definitely a, a very good framework to work forward from.
0: This concludes Colleen Vargas's discussion on Cognitive Surpluses and Citizen Foresters, The Urban Forest Map. If you would like to learn more about urban forestry, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the book, Planning the Urban Forest, Ecology, Economy, and Community Development by the American Planning Association. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA1232. Again, SA1232. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, Please feel free to contact Juana Vargas, the producer of this podcast series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Thank you for listening to this episode and to our sponsor, the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series. And join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day.
1: Climb with the ISA.